Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up our water treatment knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. I am Trace Blackmore, and I want to thank the Scaling Up Nation out there for making this the number one water treatment podcast out there to listen to, to get information about water treatment and make sure that we're getting better tomorrow, more so than we were today. I'm not going to comment on the fact I think I'm the only podcast out there for water treatment, but that's beside the fact. You guys are making this show very successful. You're calling me, you're emailing me, you're telling me all these things you want me to talk about, guests you want me to interview, and I'm getting great feedback on it. So I want to thank you for all of that. It's allowing me to bring the show to you. And that being said... We are getting ready for a season change. Some of us live in areas of the country where we have to change seasons from summer to winter to fall to spring, all that various stuff. And then some places we live, we just have one season. So for the folks that are getting ready for a season change, think about what needs to be done to the equipment that we're actually treating. For example, the cooling tower. We're probably going to start scheduling or our owner or customer is going to start scheduling a time to get the cooling tower cleaned. What a great time to reach out to the mechanical that's going to be doing that and making sure that we can be on site so we can see what's coming out of the chiller, what's coming out of the cooling tower. Maybe we have access to a boroscope and we can schedule a boroscope for inside the chiller. So anytime this equipment's open, it's a great time for us to reach out to the other people that are helping our customers take care of this equipment. So now might be a good time to do that. By the way, if your customer does not have filtration on their cooling tower, they should probably be cleaning their cooling tower minimum twice a year. And I know many property owners will think that you know they want to save money on cleaning their cooling tower this year and it doesn't look that bad so they're going to put it off till next year please have a dialogue with your equipment owners to make sure that they know that makes your job not only difficult but almost impossible it's so much easier to keep a clean system clean than it is to clean up a dirty system And there's only so much we can do with chemical. There has to be a synergy with mechanical, i.e. cleaning and chemical. So please have that conversation with them. Also, whenever there is a season change, it's recommended in many protocols that Legionella testing be done. So maybe they're not doing monthly Legionella testing. Maybe you're doing quarterly Legionella testing. So now that the season changes come, that might be a good time to recommend that you do that. Any equipment upgrades or maybe you have to change some product dosing on the controllers because now we're going into a different season and our loading's going to be different. So just think about all the things that you have to do the next time you go to service those accounts now that you're in a different weather pattern. The other thing I want to ask the Scaling Up Nation to do is not only listen to this podcast, But let other water treaters know that this podcast is available out there. And then when you do that, please make sure that you subscribe to this show. It's great that you're going to the website and downloading it. 
Actually, I put some buttons on there so you can actually subscribe right off of the website. But if you're using a service like iTunes or Stitcher, if you're an Android person, you can subscribe from those services as well. And then every time a new episode of Scaling Up comes out, you will be notified and that sucker will be on your device, ready to go when you are ready to listen to it. So the last thing I wanted to mention, and this is something that happened to me recently, it was a cooling tower controller and it just was not working properly. It was putting weird stuff into the program. It wasn't reading gibberish on the screen, but uh, there was just weird anomalies that were happening that I did not program in and uh, worked with the manufacturer and, and really didn't get great satisfaction from the manufacturer. But we started looking for some other issues and we found that electromagnetic interference was actually an issue at this location. So we bought a very inexpensive electromagnetic interference filter and put that in between the line and the controller uh, plug. And we went ahead and reset the controller and reprogrammed it. And it seems to be working fine. And we were having issues on a weekly basis with this controller. And with that electromagnetic interference filter, we actually have not had an issue for about three months now. So I'm putting that out to the Scaling Up Nation because I'm curious if you've had issues like this. When I call manufacturers, they say, well, you really shouldn't have that problem. Somebody might be messing with the controller. And it doesn't look like that's the case. So I'm just curious what other listeners have experienced with that. Well, my lab partner today is Jack Walker. And Jack Walker and I served on the board probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. I don't want to date myself. But that's where I met Jack. And, and Jack's just a, a heck of a nice guy. And, and Jack is uh, generation one in water treatment and one of the founders of the Association of Water Technologies. So I wanted to have him on the show and talk about, you know, what changes he's seen throughout his lifetime. What was it like from him transitioning his company to his children and just, you know, what he thought about water treatment in general. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jack Walker. I'm here today with Jack Walker, and Jack was the Association of Water Technologies Water Technologist of the Year Award recipient for 2017, probably the highest honor in the industry. How are you doing today, Jack? <laughs> well, I was doing fine, so they got to this. Anyway, no, I'm just doing fine. I'm overwhelmed about the introductions, about, there's some, about being the Water Treater of the Year. There's so many people within the industry are also deserving of that award, but I'm doing great, and I'm glad that I'm I'm with you to do this podcast. And you're very humble about the award, which is probably one of the reasons that you received it. Yeah, it just it's overwhelming. I'm I was shocked. I, mean, I kind of looked around me, <laughs> but anyway. Well, Jack, we really appreciate you being here, and, and you and I have known each other for a while. We served on the uh, board for a while. We've been on a couple of different committees together, so thank you again for coming on the show. There are a few people out there that may not know who you are, so uh, you mind giving yourself a brief introduction to our audience? Yes. Back in 1972, 
going back a ways, I got involved with the chemical company that sold water treatment as a side. It's the, that's not their main product line. But I was taking care of some steam boilers with because of their product line. Then eventually, I ended up really liking the industry. I finally went into the industry with a local regional company here in Northern California. And I really liked the industry. I'd been there with them for about 10 years. There was a management change within the company itself. And I felt it best for both of us that I left, that I leave their company. I started my own. It's called Water Tech Specialties. We handle the central and northern California only. That's a very large area to cover. I really didn't want to be a large company. Never my mind. It's just a lot of headaches. It just, it's overwhelming. And I like being with the customers. I like to be in the field. So that's how we got started. And that's where we are today. And we deal specifically for cooling towers and boilers. We deal with a little bit of wastewater. That's not, that's just trying to help out a customer. But primarily just the small of the commercial light industry, like food, data centers, lines like uh, the customers like that is what we handle. So I'm very proud of the people that we do have. Uh, I have one gentleman now who's been with me for about 26, 27 years. Well, that's saying something. Yeah, he won't leave. I do have that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I keep uh, trying, but he keeps hanging around. Yeah, he just, because he told me, he says, well, I'm retiring. He says, he looked, at, he asked me, and he says, uh, gee, Jack, uh, you, you're, you know, when do you plan to retire? So I don't plan to retire because he's younger than I am. And so now he's, he's beyond 65. And so uh, I thought I had replaced him. He says, well, I think I'll take, stay until I'm 70. Now, so he's, he's not 70 there right now, but he says, you know, I might be, uh, staying a little bit longer. He says, fine with me. Does a good job. So we treat our employees like we treat our customers, like they want to be treated with respect. So anyway, so that's, that's WaterTech. That's how I are. It sounds like a great place to be. Jack, you said that one of your goals was not to be the biggest. What was one of your goals when you started your company? What I wanted, I love the industry. I love the people. It was so interesting, the business I was dealing with. I had food processing. Well, some of the food processing, and some of the, I'm like, I've never been into a, a mushroom farm. Uh, I see mushrooms on the market, had no idea how they grow mushrooms. So I'm taking care of mushroom farms. The smell of urea, uh, right? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, they used to do, um, we had a couple of horse tr- tracks in the Bay Area, and there's only one left. So once that was diminishing the supply, they start making uh, synthetic. So mostly it's synthetic today. So anyway, but then we have processing apples and oranges and almonds. So we, I get to go inside and actually see where they're making orange juice what, in mass quantities. So the industry is really great. Now I'm dealing with data centers. What goes with the data center? How is that taken care of? What, what's their concern? How they maintain the systems? So that's very interesting. That's the reason why I kind of like the industry. So in the meantime, it was me personally saying, my goal wasn't saying, gee, I want to be, you know, take over this territory and 
that territory and expand, go to different states. It's never been my image. I needed some help so I can take some time off. So I'm satisfied. So we we don't have a lot of people, but we have enough to sustain what we have and take care of our customers. So that's my goal. And I have I have some customers. They want me to go down to L.A. I go no way. We go down to the mid central California to Northern, and I'm happy. There's a lot, and there's a lot. There's quite a few competitors, but there's a lot of business to go around. So that's the reason why. I'm staying where we are and just being, as you always say, small, small company. Well, good for you. And it sounds like uh, it sounds like it's working out. It sounds like the employees are happy. You're happy. But you did mention employees. So when wh- what do you look for when you look for employees? Hiring. I'm finding out hiring anybody in, in the industry is very difficult. On a piece of paper, you can put down whatever you want to put down. But does it really reflect that individual's capabilities? Most of the, the majority, or I, I say all except for one individual, have all been by referrals. Somebody that knows somebody. So that's our screening process. Now that's it's a little bit more difficult to sustain, but most, most of the times we're training our people. The people that come in, they have the characteristics, they have the great attitude, their willingness to learn. And they're people. They're, they're people. They're, you're doing when you, it's like I, I keep telling my people when you go into an, an account, who hired you? A person or is that boiler? You can be really nice to that boiler, but if you're not nice to that manager or supervisor, guess what? You're not going to keep that account. I don't care how happy that boiler is. So I want a. We need people that are energetic and they smile. Well, you know. To a limit. It's just, <laughs> if you follow my point, you have to show your teeth. But to be nice and to be cordial and to respond. I've had one competitor and he lost some business. All he would do, he'd come in there, write a report, hand it to him, and leave. No communication. Very little communication. Whatever's there. It's like a computer walks up, hand you a piece of paper. Okay, I'm done. I leave. I go. That's it. People are dealing with people. And then when you're dealing with people, People like you, guess what they might want to do? Somebody says, oh, by the way, I have a friend down the street. He needs some help. Guess what? You just got a referral. And that's the best kind of business, isn't it? I just got a call yesterday, and they said, oh, by the way, somebody referred you. It's a data center. I have an appointment with them at 1 o'clock and ends up being one of my older customers. I lost through a bid. He wants. Because of my, the way we take care of a data center and reclaim water with great success, the word's getting around, they want, they're going to put reclaim water into their system and or start using it. And so now it says, okay, so now, so no longer they're going with the cheapest price for the quote. Now they're looking for the, the proper technology. But to what it was is referral because of taking care of somebody is referral. So. I don't know how I got into that tangent, but we'll go from there. Well, it was it was a good one. It just shows that you know people are paying attention to to how you're acting and what you're doing, and if you do a good job, you're going to get referrals. Well, Jack, something that you do very successfully is uh, you have some of your kids working in your business, and I've done some interviews with people to ask how the company works 
when it's not just employees, but now it's family. And you guys seem to make that work very well. Any tips on how you do that? Oh, boy. Never in my life, never in my life, I would think I would have my, I have two children, and they both work for me. One's very good in the office. Uh, that's my daughter. That's Bonnie. My son, Scott, we did our own blending years ago, and it just got out of hand with the regulatory mm-hmm. in, in the city we were in. So my son went into it as a tech, but after that, he went in, he wanted to be in the sales, getting new ones, plus to a tech service. And because of our training, he ends up being a CWT as well. So, so he understands the outside. He understands the quoting. He understands the people. He understands the industry, the boilers and coolings, all the different, you know, food processing, data center. He understands. So he's out there. So that's gone. But now Bonnie, she's on side. And so, so it's worked out very well. I, I did not plan it this way. My, I, I wish a second. Well, back in 19, <clears throat> back in the 70s, I thought, you know, I, I first started my business in 83. This is my ultimate goal. No. You know, eventually my son was helping me out and part time while he's going to school and my daughter and she actually had went to college when she came back. She ends up being working for us in the office and it just, it just happened that way. I had put it this way. I've been blessed. How do you plan for this? I've heard too many times where somebody would say, I had my kids and they're not interested. You must have an interest. They have an interest. I don't care what you're doing. If you don't have an interest, it's, it's on the long term, it's not going to work. So whatever you're doing, if you're doing something like you say with your job right now, if you're doing something and you really don't like it, I got news for you. You got to be thinking about it twice because it's not going to work for you, work for you in the long term. How many times? There's many, well, many times I've heard so many people, because I'm towards, well, the retirement age, yes, I, I know. <laughs> a lot of people I know that are retired, as soon as they got to the point of retirement age, they cut the all strings for their industry and done. So I ask him why. And he says, because I did not like my job. I'm not retired because I like my job. So here, yes, I'm still at work. And I don't, seriously, I don't work eight hours a day. I, I'll admit that. Because if you ever see one of my kids, they'll tell you that. So I'll let the cat out of the bed. <laughs> so, but anyway, the thing is, but I like what I'm doing. So, so if you, you do what you tell, like, it's it's not work. No, it's not work. It's, I enjoy it. Just like all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm doing a site tour. This guy has a data, he takes care of a data center. He's interested in the data center I take care of. He says, hey, you take, you've been taking care of it. It's been very successful. We like to use their system. And what my, my son, where this guy is coming from, we used to have that account. My son used to take care of it. And the reason why we're no longer taking care of it, because management went out to bid, which they, they do periodically. And the other company came just to, it was dollars. It was, and engineering there at the facility says, why are you getting water tech? So well, the other company's cheaper. He said, do you realize what value they give us? says, I don't care about value. All I need is, says, I have a budget. And the guys are cheaper. Yeah, that's the reason why we lost it. It was unbelievable. But now, they're looking at now a performance with something 
with uh, look, our industry changes all of a sudden. Have you ever heard of using wastewater or reclaimed water? Excuse me. And we use a lot of reclaimed water. It's very common now. So. Yeah, that's definitely one of my pet peeves too. When when you're doing a great job and it goes out for bid and and pennies on the dollar, it comes in and they say we can no longer. We're, we love what you're doing. But she can't do it anymore with us because somebody was 20 cents cheaper. What do you do with that? So, you know, hopefully in uh, a very soon day and age, uh, the people that are in charge of the budgets will realize it's not just what they're spending on water treatment, but it's really the whole bottom line. How much are they spending on water? How much are they spending on energy? And then what is that partnership like with the owner, with the people that are taking care of the equipment and the people that are taking care of water treatment? Uh, there's just no line item for that in the budget yet. Right. And this is something that we fail. And I think a lot of people, uh, other water treated companies also fail. The people that are making decisions, a lot of times they don't understand our industry. Mm-hmm. If, if you actually, you, you talk about the budget guy, if you take him out and, and says, all right, point to the boiler. They're probably they're kind of like, what, we have a steam boiler. I actually had one that says, we still have steam boilers today? I'm serious. Kind of like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sitting there. I was like, okay, in a hospital, how do you think they sterilize the instruments? Hmm. How do they cook the food? Then the food, into, you know, then, then you start saying like that, mentioning the different industry. Then they're sitting there, all of a sudden, the light comes on like, oh, there are steam boilers. So the thing is, we're not educated, like the individual who's making these decisions sometimes do not know the industry. They don't understand. If they get fouling on the tubes and you don't have that proper heat exchange, they got money going out the stack. They don't see that. All they, all they can see is how much they're paying out, not the damage. So a great suggestion would be, you know, befriend these people. Make sure they know what your value is so they're not just looking at how much you're costing. They're looking at how much you're actually giving them in value. You need to find a decision maker, whoever it is, and a lot of time it's not in the department to deal with. It's somebody, what we call them bean counters. What do you want to call them? That's There's a good term, and it's been used on this show before. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I did not be demeaning, but meaning they, they just look at numbers. They don't comprehend. And all of a sudden, they don't look at the value. They're just looking at a number. The value. Somehow you have to install, instill the, the value of what you're doing, what you're providing. And some are just strictly by, I've had this just strictly by numbers. It's nope, a little bit cheaper. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says, nope, just cheaper. That individual somehow to get to them, before they make that decision, or while I'm making the decision, to educate them somehow. But a lot of times that's not possible. Well, that's great advice. I'm thinking back, and I know we as a company have lost an account for $5 a month. And, and Five. Yeah, $5. And if, if you look at all of the things we were able to do within the four or five years that we were at that account, it was truly amazing. They were having issues with uh, exchangers going offline, uh, the chiller not looking very good, and they, they didn't have those problems anymore. The problem we had is we forgot to remind them that it wasn't smooth sailing before we were there, and then they put it out to bid, and they forgot that water treatment could cause problems if it wasn't done correctly. Now, the good news was they called us back when it didn't work out, but that doesn't always happen. No, I- 
I've, I've had that happen where we were, uh, they thought they had a better option. So they went out and they found out that better option did not turn out to be a better option. The sad part of it is I went back sometime later, oh, six months or a year later, and found out they had a different water treatment company. Not the same one, because the other one did not perform. But the individual who fired us, hired someone else, they didn't work out. He had to fire them. The last thing he wanted to do was to call me back because there'd be anger in his face. That is the sad part. And it's really nice when they do have a problem, they realize, like, we made a mistake. We need to keep you or me, whatever it is. They did a good job. Let's bring them back. A lot of times, it, sometimes it does happen. A lot of times it will not because they're embarrassed. There is the problem. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, something my dad taught me was, you know, in this situation, you know, you're not going to keep the business. There's no reason to get upset. Leave with a very good taste in everybody's mouth, if you will, and leave very graciously. Are there any tips that you could give our listeners on how to do that? Ah, oh, good point. Well, when you are being fired, I, I, I give one example. I was being fired once. Again, I, I'm doing my due diligence on the chemistry part, making sure everything was nice and clean, all the heat exchangers. Okay, fine. I provided a certain amount of service as promised. I and and actually provided that service. The reports were in line, communications was good, and all of a sudden one day the manager, hey, by the way, new manager, I'll underline that, new, one day he says, Jack, you're going to be replaced, and uh, I'm going to have brand X. And I looked at him, and I says, wait a minute, am I providing the proper service? Yes. Am I keeping your equipment clean? Yes. My pricing, is it fairly in line? Yes. Okay, so really, you're not saying I did anything wrong. That is correct. And he says, and I told the customer, and he says, look, I have a reputation to uphold. All of a sudden, they find out I lose this account. And they're like, uh-oh, what did Jack do now? What happened to WaterTech? He says, he says, now, am I losing it because you know somebody and not because of my performance? He says, I can handle that. But if I'm being fired because you think I'm incompetent, he says, no, no, no. He says, really? He says, I've been working with this guy from another plant. I've known him for years. And we're kind of like friends. He says, I can handle that. That's no problem. He says, good luck to you. But if you do have a problem, give me a call. A little hard to compete so, with that, yeah. No, you can't. So, but in the meantime, on the other hand, I picked up several accounts where he says, hey, Jack, you want a new account? I picked up a big, I picked up a big data center because of one of the guys I used to do with for years started there. And they're, and they're building this new data center. He says, Jack, you want a new account? He says, yeah. I says, where are you, Brian? He says, I'm over here. I says, what are you doing there? Never heard of him. Oh, it's just this new startup. So do you want it? What do you mean, do I want it? Christmas doesn't <laughs> every day. Oh, yeah. So I, I picked up accounts that way. So I realized I had sometimes taken away from me and sometimes I take away from other people. The best thing to do, of course, the question, make sure you have an exit Interview, you might want to say. It's like when you quit. A lot of times the company says, all right, HR says, we'd like to have an exit re exit interview. Same thing with your customer. And ask, I want to know if I've done something wrong or some kind of correction. Find out. Learn. If there is a mistake, learn from your mistakes. Take something positive away from it. Don't go. 
Because number one, the louder you grumble or you start grumbling, that's going to be a negative. And sometimes these people don't stay in that one position. Sometimes they travel to another. And all of a sudden, you're going to find out that guy you were grumbling with and, and made it, you know, whatever you might have said. You end up all of a sudden, a year later, you get a new manager at one of your old accounts. And guess who he, guess who he is? The guy that you were giving, you know, grumbling with. So you, he, you left a bad taste in his mouth. Now he is your new boss. So that had, that can happen and has happened. There's one account as a hospital and the specs said they didn't want, I won't mention the brand. They didn't want brand X and says, so they put all new chillers in. I don't want brand X and they're on a big contract. So don't want them. So they couldn't bid on them because they'll be out of warranty. That was in the specs. So I went in there. I said, well, this is, we're going to give you a contract for the year for the warranty. And he says, yes. And, and then I said, well, he says, you know why the equipment's being replaced? Because Brand X, I don't think it's a new boss. I don't think Brand X has been taking care of it. That's the reason after 20 years, we have to replace all this equipment. And uh, so I, and I told him, he says, look, with this new equipment, you're not, he says, in the specs, it says not to use you. That was a design mechanical. I could not believe it even say that. Hmm. And so when they told Brand X, by the way, we're not going to be using you for a year, the guy really got upset. How can you do that? And this, whoa, 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 it's not my decision. It's in the specs. And says, I have a year warranty, and I have to abide by the warranty. Says, okay. He says, well, you know, those chemicals, and he says, there are chemicals, so we're going to have to pump them out. No, your chemicals, but they're in our tanks. We're going to have to take the tanks. He goes on and on. He was making this chief engineer extremely unhappy. And so, by the way, all this information came from the chief engineer. When I had an interview with him about our contract for that one year, he says, you know, that guy just burnt the bridge. I don't want him back. So, if you see, there's an exit. There's an exit plan. So the exit plan, he was thinking, all right, I'm going to make a big grumble because you're not going to use me for the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the meantime, he just says, forget it. So when you leave, find out why, what happened. Is it cost? Is it money? On this one data center that Scott uh, lost, it was strictly on money. And, and, and the engineer, he told him, says, hey, I'm already sorry. He says, I says, we really like you. He says, well, in two years, it comes up to bid again. And it says, he says, I can't help you. He says, he says I, I highly recommend you. And these are the same guys right now heard about what we're doing with reclaimed water is now having a appointment with them today. So we left in a, we didn't grumble. We left very, you know, in, in a peaceful way, if you might want to say. And say, if you ever have any problems, give me a call. And, and then it doesn't hurt to go back now and then. Give them six months. Hey, how's it going? Just stop by to see you, whatever. Don't lose contact. Remember, people are buying the product, not the cooling tower, not the steam water. It's the person, anyway. That's a great tip, and I think that's uh, something that people need to consider when they're servicing their accounts. The cooling tower sees them. The chiller sees them. Does that customer see them? That's right. Great tip. Well, you, you've mentioned several things that lend themselves to sales, you know, referrals, making sure you're always talking to the right people. 
Uh, you've been very successful in this industry. What tips can you give our listeners to what they should be doing when it comes to sales? Sales today versus earlier on. Right now, it's very difficult to see people. It's unbelievable. They used to have, when you walk into a building, they would have a lobby. And there'd be somebody there sitting in the lobby. Yes, may I help you? May I talk to whatever, you know, uh, uh, trying to cultivate, trying to find. That, then the point says, oh, well, that's Mr. So-and-so. Well, uh, can I contact him or whatever? Well, can you call and make an appointment? Now, you're walking to a lobby, you see a phone. It says, oh, it is your directory. Push button. Which one do you want? And you're not going to get directly to that person. You're going to get a, a, maybe a particular department. So it makes it a little bit more difficult. It's, to me, it's the networking. How in sales is networking? Your existing accounts. Ask, hey, do you know of anybody? If I'm in a hospital, do you know any, anyone else in the hospital? Or, or there's another hospital. So do you know anybody in that, in that hospital? You're going to find out a lot of people, if they're in a bakery, People are in bakeries. They move because it's a kind of unique industry. Though these the engineers move to different bakeries. Though they might go to di- different industries, but more likely they'll go to another bakery if it's in the and if it's in the near area. Hospitals. People are in hospitals. Where are they go? They'll go to the next hospital. So what I'm trying to say: all of a sudden you're in. You're in a hospital and you get to know the guy because, you know, you're Mr. Nice Guy and cordial. You're not talking your ear off, but you're being pleasant with him. Saying, hey, Joe, um, do you know a so-and-so down, this, you know, across, across town, this hospital? Oh, yeah. They may not volunteer it, but they'll let you know. It says, oh, yeah. It says, uh, oh, my cousin works there. Uh, do you mind letting him know that can I contact him? Says, yeah, let me see what I can do for you. That's one way to do it. Other, they have different associations, like the BOMA, where managers will meet, and you need to be involved there because you get to meet. You you end up in these different organizations. You get to meet these people at a meeting that you would never see them otherwise, as you walked up to a building. If you can, if you can make a presentation, I. Trace, I know you do a lot of training, a lot of presentations, and this is very helpful when you go to an account and you say, hey, I'd like to make a, or you say, you get some people together, I make a, make a presentation. They see you, they see your capabilities. It's exposure. It's, it's branding. In other words, oh, yeah, Trace Blackmore. I know him. It's not like, Trace who? It's, so you want to get your name out there and expose. And so, if there's different organizations, service organizations in your area, join them. Other type of community organizations, because now you're going to deal with a lot of the managers or possibly owners, and you get your get your face recognition, and say, "Oh yeah, oh so and so, we just met someone here, just uh, an association, found out the local university who's tied up with Brand X and." I found out this guy's a project manager. He does all the scheduling. And he found out, we are another a social event, found out that this guy started to talk, and we're in the same industry. And he goes, oh, yeah, I've heard of you guys, yeah. 
He says, hey, you know, I'm the coordinator or whatever. He says, he says give me a call. See what I can do for you guys. He says, That's how it works. But if I went to the university trying to knock on a door, what door do I knock on? Mm-hmm. And who's going to recognize them? Where's the doorbell? There's no doorbells anymore. That's electronics been very, very good to us in the water treatment, but also the same electronics that keeps us out of locked doors. Well, well, great advice, great information. Jack, you said you've been in the water treatment industry since the 70s. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in our industry? One one thing for uh, as a chemistry, there, there's two things. One is the chemistry. Different type polymers were not available back then. I can still remember where they're using a dispersant made from uh, potato peels. And but the, I think some of the biggest is the communications, like with the, the cone tower controllers. Before there's a, there's a brand. I don't know if, for those that had been in the business very long. It's called the Hydac. It was just it was an analog. It's not even. It, it had a dial where you want your TDS reading. That was it. That was it. And it turned the pump on and off according to your set point. And then you had to buy a separate little timer for your biocide. Now, the communications, they, they get web. You go on the web. Uh, you can view things. You have graphs. I have a, I have a computer program that I use in one account. When my water software is a very in, integral part of the water treatment program, and I get a readout once a month, I mean, once every, once a day, it shows me if it regenerated, if it regenerated properly through a graph. So I don't have to run out to that cooling tower to make sure, or that steam boiler, is my water softener working properly. That is how far we came, other than with how the, what the controllers can do for it. To me, it's the biggest change. And communications. When I first started in the change, I had to call the office on a payphone. Yeah. I'm pay sorry, phone. what technology did you just mention? A pay what? Payphone. Oh, oh, a payphone. You're talking about communications, about the changes in our industry. I'm just teasing you, Jack. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, and I, I knew every payphone in my whole area. By the way, that's before cell phones, if you can believe that. No cell phones. Everything was by payphone. So there's... So then it's, but it's still communications. We communicate different. Most of our calls come to the front office. Now, we very seldom ever, we don't get, we get name one-tenth of the phone calls today. We have a lot more customers. We do a lot more business. But our phone doesn't ring that often. Why? We got emails. I get texts. And we also, cell phones. Right now, I'm on a cell phone. Our, I can remember when you first came up with cell phones, you would ask your contact for your cell phone. He wouldn't give it to you. He says, no, you just call the office. Now, if you look on his business card, it's there. I looked on your card, Trace, and your cell phone's there, your phone number's there, whatever. You have, how do you want to communicate to me? That is one of the biggest changes to me. Biggest change is communication. But you have to stay on top of it. But still, you're dealing with the people. But plus, like I was saying, the polymers, the way we're doing things is a little bit different. Perform, oh, the things, well, I, I, I can't say that all my heat exchangers were that clean earlier on. We used to do a lot of acid cleaning back in the days. About a third of my business is acid cleaning. Now, I had a call 
to do an acid clean job for a steam border a couple of months ago and almost refused it. But it was a new account. I said, well, I'll go in there and they can, you know, maybe I can get my foot in the door and do the water treatment. But I really don't want to do acid cleans anymore. And I, I very seldom ever get a call. They, yes, there are some hiccups. Don't get me wrong. But you don't see that very often because our chemistry, our industry has improved immensely. Jack, do you remember the uh, chromate and acid days? <laughs> I I won't say what university. There's a university near me. And chromate acid, right? Oh, that was, you know, get that, you know, just your LSI to the acid, your pH and your alkalinity is true. Don't have to worry about corrosion to use the chromates, right? Well, when they were started coming out where they're going to ban chromate, I told the university, he says, hey, you know what? Uh, they're going to ban chromates. And uh, it's just, you know, just want to let you know, maybe I ought to get on these new organic type chemicals and get away from this hazardous materials. And the guy who told me says, look, you tell me I'm going to stay on chromates until the day they banned it, okay? So one day it finally came through and says, hey, guess what? They just banned it. He says, okay, whatever it is, switch me over. Oh, yeah. So... Those have been very successful. Yes, but I do, I remember chromates. Yes, and I, yeah, I do remember some accidents with the acid. Yeah. Well, Jack, what was something that you thought was just brilliant in theory? You came up with this idea and you say, this is just fantastic. I'm going to put this out. And you rolled it out and it was just an epic fail. Well, there was, well, there's certain things you have, certain products, the way they're packaged. And you thought that'd be a great idea, and you find out, and you thought, well, gee, if I, if I had this type of product that no one else is, they're, they're going to stay with it, and not necessarily. So I was a little disappointed in that, but I think it's the main to me is I had another company we started, and it was related to our industry. Well, and. So I was operating two companies, and the water treatment was their main. And I had found out that's that's not good. So you need to be focused on one thing, one industry. You were spread too thin. Or yeah, it, it just yeah. So and there again, you have to watch your product line. We want to get really big, really start working as an example, try to roll out this uh, wastewater. Then I really found out in wastewater. You talk about, you mentioned before, you lost it because of five bucks or whatever. The others, they're down at pennies a pound. Says, oh, this guy two cents cheaper. There's, there's no loyalty when it comes down to wastewater. So actually, that's one thing that I really tried. I'm not trying to discourage people from wastewater. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying that at all. We still take, but you need the general information because when I was told in the wastewater, it's, it's, if somebody, another, if they're having a problem with wastewater at your account and they're having a problem and you're not taking care of it, you just open the door for another company to come in there to take care of the wastewater. Great point. And then they're looking, over the, they're looking at the fence and says, oh, you got a cooling tower over there. So in the meantime, they're helping them out with wastewater. Usually when they need help with the wastewater, they're not in compliance. Then uh, they're being charged for the uh, the extra CODs, the DODs, whatever the case may be. And it gets to be a really big headache. And so in the meantime, the steam boiler and cooling tower, it just chugs along. You know, if you have a, your basic 
comprehensive tower border program. It, it works. There's no big science. Well, it's too nuanced with us. I mean, it's really simple to take wastewater. The flow changes, the pH changes, whatever, and everything goes upside down. So if they have somebody come there to resolve that problem, so the only time, so I got, so I got into the wastewater understanding with some training from different people, because what I wanted to do, in case they do have a problem with wastewater or they do have wastewater, I want to be involved with it to prevent someone else jumping the fence and looking over there and saying, "Well, we're taking care of the wastewater." It's like putting your head, you know, the, the camel's putting his head in the tent. You don't want you don't want that to happen. So in the meantime, but then I took it one step further. Well, actually, start going after wastewater accounts. That was not a good thing. So we we do our own, but then all of a sudden now you're competing with other people who have the larger companies and they have a water treatment division. Mm-hmm. They buy a little bit better than I can. So that that was this wastewater. So wastewater really is a, a commodity type business, is what you're hey, saying. Oh, de- oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Good, good, good point. Well, Jack, you mentioned earlier that if you don't love being in this industry, that you suggest people find an industry that they do love, and it's very apparent that you truly do love this industry. What are some of the things about this industry that you love? Oh, it's a good question. Um, what I, I think really, really is it a great accomplishment. Just thinking of yourself, and you have all this great knowledge. Somebody has a problem or has a pitting problem. Maybe they can't control a certain chemistry. Whatever the case may be, you come in there and you resolve that. And all of a second, wow, gee, really, thanks. It gives you a nice satisfaction that you help somebody and you apply the knowledge you have learned. So problem solving. Stop the thing. When you go into an account and the account itself, it's a new account, and you're, you're going through and you look at all the chemistry, you look at the reports, you look at their, their past cleaning reports, everything's in line. Well, it's kind of hard to say, well, Everything looks good here. Just hire me. <laughs> kind of like, okay, fine. So there's no challenge. So the problem solving is the challenge. On the, on the other side, I go into an account and they have a problem. It says, ah, I can resolve this. This is how it can be done. Be careful about that too, because I've lost more than one account. Uh, earlier on, I'm learning. It says, all you have to do you do this, that will resolve that problem. You know what that guy did? This is a real true story. The guy, the manager says, oh, you mean all of our problems are based on this one thing? If we do this, it'll change it? He says, yeah. To us, it's a no-brainer. Like, duh. So what happened? He says, oh, let me ask my water treater if he can do that. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I do? Shoot myself in the foot? You got to be kidding me! So, Jack, let me ask because I know that comes up a lot. You're you're surveying a new account. You really want to show off that you can do a better job than the people that are there now. And my proof for that is to solve this problem. So, right. what what do you do? Well, well, let's put it this way: if you give away the secrets, what what do you, what do you really think they're going to hire you? You got 
you got to assess that in your own mind. If I tell them, turn this valve halfway down and it's going to resolve the problem, what do you think they're going to do? Turn the valve halfway down. Now, what value are you to them? It's gone. Now, primarily what we do, we just say we can come up with a plan. We know what's going on. And this is the results that we'll give you. But we're not going to tell them how we got, how we derived to the results. In other words, when you hire me, I will give you the results. If you don't get the results, you fire me. So then you stop to think, well, aren't you shooting yourself in the foot? You know, no, because I'm, I'm, I'm something that simple. Turn the valve down. One that one case is like he wasn't blowing the border down lo- uh, long enough. I'm serious. He was not blowing the border down long enough. We just told him blow it down a little bit more. Your conductivity comes down. You stop your carryover. And the fall goes on and on and on. I said, you got to be kidding me. That's all i got to do. The guy who was taking care of the water treater did not understand the basic principle was a problem. And he wasn't that well trained. And so we saw a very simple, very simple solution. We told him it's a solution. The owner told the water treater what to do. Everything calmed down. He goes, okay, we're good. Well, we don't need you now. So what I'm trying to say, so now... On that same situation, if I had to go back in time, we know how to get resolved, and this is the results that we can give you. It just if it says I can give you that if you hire me. Well, Jack, let me ask you: How would you cordially explain to that prospect that you know that information because you are properly trained, you've been in this industry, and, and you know what you're doing? so much better than the person that they currently have. So, yes, you told them to turn that valve or blow it down more, uh, and they can do that. But how do you say politely, what happens when the next problem comes up and I'm not around to tell them what to do? Oh, you Okay, restate that question. I, my mind just wandered off. Sure. So, so basically, you have the know-how of telling the right. people that you want to turn that valve down and it's going to solve your right. problem. You want to blow the boiler down to solve that problem. Right. But right. that came from you, not the person doing their water treatment. And the fact that they told the people that were doing their water treatment your recommendation, oh, what happens it. when another problem comes along and you're not around oh, to give that, that recommendation? Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, I understand what you're saying. If you, But then if, if they're having a problem, that simple of a problem, I would stay close to that account. I would call on that guy maybe once a month, every other month, just stay in face-to-face, and so when a problem does come up, he says, you know, that guy was right the first time. So, so another one comes up. If the same guy asked me again, I said, yeah, I can do it, says, but you'll have to hire me. Mm-hmm. Says, I'm not going to give it. So in, in, in that state. So I understand what you're saying. But giving away free information, we're, we're, we're not consultants. You know, if, if, if I'm a consultant, pay me. If you, you're going to go to a consultant and says, hey, I got a problem with my border. Um, can you help me out here? Oh, that sounds really good. No, I'm not going to pay you. No, we're not consultants. We don't act like consultants. You should, as you say, if you want to pay me, I can correct it. I see your problem. I assessed it. Now, I, I have a similar account. That's another thing. When you first start in industry, they're going to ask, who do you take care of? Think about it. Who do you take care of? Once you've been in industry, oh, do you know, then not only start mentioning uh, industry, then you start throwing out names. Because, oh, I know him. Oh, I know him. Because you realize who's in the industry he may know. 
that's because, like I'm saying, if I'm at a bakery, first thing I do, all I do is talk about bakeries. People in the bakeries. Well, I got when when the and a, and a proposal. Give me a reference. Do you think I give them reference of a data center? That's not a bakery. I give them reference to the hospital. That's not a. You know, they're, they're just as critical as a bakery as a hospital. But it's not a. But the bakery guy, he says that's a hospital. We're different. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that answers your question. No, I think I think it's a great uh, point. You know, I'm asking you for some references so I can prove to myself that you're the right company to come in and take care of my bakery. So give me like companies that show that you're taking care of them. I think it's an excellent point. Oh, yeah, that's, whatever you do, make sure we make referrals. You talk to someone else. Is he's in the same industry? Because I've been in a situation. I forget what it was. And it was, oh, I was in a mushroom farm. If I mention, all is a steam, steam boiler. That's all it is, right? It just live steam that goes into the, the room for the, the heat and humidity. But the thing that is, if I start talking about a steam generator for something else in a different industry, it can care less. It says, oh, mushroom farm. You know, Joe and Joe over here at the, oh, I got him. Yeah. And so this is how it works. Oh, do you know the consultant for your, you know, for your industry? Well, I know him. Well, because I know reference. But other than that, but you know, you need to know the industry. It's the main thing. When someone's starting out, you need to know their industry, how they work, how they behave, what type of association they belong to, who they're related to, because people travel within their industry. Because, because you stop to think of the guy at the hospital. Okay, this guy. He manages cooling towers and chillers and steam boilers at a mushroom farm. Okay, and they're a big plant, and they has all the latest technology as far as controlling the controllers. Now, take this guy out of place and have him apply a job over at a hospital. Oh, you're at a hospital, yes, and you give this guy as a reference. He's going to say, "He's a mushroom farm. What do they know?" But they have same type of equipment and the same responsibilities. Of maintaining the equipment. But he's thinking to himself, he's an emotion farmer. He doesn't understand our industry. Wait a minute. A chiller is a chiller. Boiler is a boiler. Okay. But you follow my point. Yeah, it's a great point. Jack, let me ask you this. So what do you see other water treaters out there doing that you really wish they'd stop doing? Oh, man. Sending people out not being well trained. Let me explain. Remember I was talking about this one? An example, but the guy was not blowing down his border properly. Sure. And high alkalinities, whatever. And in the meantime, that, that customer is going to think to himself, wait a minute, this guy doesn't know, this guy he said he does know. They, they're, they're kind of thinking of the industry. Like, what? These small water treaters. But now you have these larger companies, and they're well-branded. And next thing you know, you might be leaving yourself open for the people just thinking, I don't want to deal with the regional water treater. I want to deal with somebody and the larger companies because they're well trained. And you have to remember, there's I've, I had a, an account I picked up from a hospital, and it was one the larger companies, and they were having problems. They called it a consultant. Consultant came in, checked everything out, and he got down to some really basic things. It was they had they were having pitting problems. It was 
primarily it was sulfine. The engineers at the hospital were not trained properly. They're not running the test on a regular basis. They're having low sulfides. They're having oxidation problems. So the consultant says, I need to interview your um, water treater. So the consultant trained, interviewed the water treater, and he says, uh, well, look at these reports. And he showed him the engineer's logs, and there were low sulfite readings. You think anything wrong there? He says, no, no. And there were low readings. And the, the water treater knew, but he didn't pick up on it at all. And he says, how would you get your sulfite reading up on well, I'm serious. And the guy was stumbling. And this guy is, came from a larger water treatment company. So what it was, he wasn't trained properly. So you get a person who's not trained properly, especially a regional, and he does a bad job, it's going to put a bad taste in our, the regionals. We're just as confident, probably better well trained than these larger companies. And But yet, they can give the, the regional companies a bad Well, I, I doubt when they're thinking, well, maybe I should dealt with the bigger companies. He's, I was going to say six pack, but whatever that means. Today, <laughs> Not but around it, anymore. No, no, I guess I, I, the other day I was talking about six pack and I was, I was trying to name the six and I only can come up with five. But anyway, that, that's, I just digress. <laughs> but you, you, you kind of follow what I'm trying to say. It's, sure. It's, so, so your plea is more to the company owner that when you're sending new people out, make sure that they're trained at least well enough so it looks good on their company and the industry. Yeah. Don't, don't come up with a, the bonehead, simple, basic, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Or like, oh, I missed that. The, and, and today, in the training, look what AWT has done. Look at the training. There's no, to me, there's no excuse. We, we have some techs out in the field. And they've been the training twice already. And we we have our own training, don't get me wrong. But we still take them to the AWT training, which is, is so important. It's, when, when I was, yeah, when I first started out, there was no such thing. I went to the IWC. I says, all right, they're in what, Pittsburgh. And the papers that was presented were high-pressure boilers. You're talking about high-steam for steam regeneration, whatever. I didn't learn a lot. This is where IWT comes along, but now they're down to the basics that we can handle these commercial and light industry. So you're using AWT to enhance what you already have? Oh, 100%, 100%, 100%. You know, I hear yes. the guy that does that math presentation for AWT is pretty good. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, let me ask you. I, was, since, what I was, just want to thank you like yourself and other people, uh, doing the training, which is so important. Well, I appreciate that, and it's definitely a, a labor of love. And as I've said on this show before, you know, if, if we're all better, then people are going to look at the industry better. And just like you just said, now we don't have that battle to fight when we're going in and talking with people like, oh, yeah, I know your kind. Everybody's doing a little bit better, and we don't have that argument. Right. I can remember when AWT was around in its infant stage that some of the people were saying somebody would leave one of the larger companies and they go in business for themselves, like a few of us. Well, what would happen, the customer was thinking, oh, says, I know Joe used to work for us, the bigger company. Now he has, he's doing it himself. The thing of it is, he is knowledgeable we left. Yes, 
at that point. He was knowledgeable up on the latest technology and the chemistry and all the new chemicals going out and reporting, whatever. thing of it is, he's now in a vacuum because he doesn't have access to our training. That was one of the objections. That was years ago. Guess what? They can't use that any longer. They cannot say, by the way, they're living in a vacuum. We're on top of technology. Great training. Look at, look at what we did. We've had leaders in our industry and look at the Legionella. CDC, you're, you're talking about all of a sudden they're thinking, wow, they have what? They're talking about what? We're, we're on top of it. This is really great. That's AWT is, to me, was, it's a gold mine. Well, Jack, let me ask you about AWT. What or when did you first get involved with AWT and what was that experience like? Well, AWT, I was going to IWC, International Water Conference, there in Pittsburgh, and I heard that AWT is going to be formed, and I'm one of the charter members. So that's how I got started. And we actually, we piggybacked on IWC. IWC, we could not hold it at the same time, so what we did, I think their conference up on Saturday, and Sunday, we'd have the same hotel, and it was just a handful of people. It just, it's just unbelievable. So I, then I watch it grow through the years. And now it's, it's an industry. It's, it's huge, you know, here. And all of a sudden you're talking about podcasts. Whoever, I ever stopped to think back then when they start talking about all this. And I would, I don't know what year did we start? 85, 86, something like that. AWT. I should know that, and I don't know the exact uh, founding uh, date. I, okay, we'll we'll delete that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, I was from the from the get go, and but in the meantime, you're sitting in a room with your competitor trying to share information. That was strange. Now, look at people what they're sharing, and their competitors are in the same room. We're there to help the industry. You have to remember, you have to keep focus for the regional companies. For them to stay strong, we have to work together. Otherwise, you're going to be consumed. The next thing you know, we're going to have the six-pack all over again. Well, there you go. Well, Jack, let me ask you, how do you learn new things about water treatment? What do you do? Good question. One I rely a lot on the AWT. They, they come out with different training modules. I, I forget what the, they call them now. When you go on the website, the member section, they're going to have certain things. That way, I'm reading articles, different uh, trade magazines. That's my prim- primary source. Then, if I have a question, I know other people in the industry uh, of the AWT that I've made friends with. I second. Would you mind explaining what they're talking about? Or is it worthwhile? Does it really work? I just found out one just a couple of days ago. I says, I heard about it. I see it. But can I really believe it? And he goes, oh, definitely. It really works. I've been doing this for years. And I go, really? Yeah. So understanding, seeing certain technology. But the last thing I want to do is experiment with my customer. Sure. No. I, there's some people. I won't mention companies, not regional, but the larger companies, they've done that more than once. Kind of like, well, they're doing the work. Okay. Change attitude. We're going to do something different. 
you know, so anyway. Well, Jack, who above all else has helped you learn the most in this industry? It's not, I understand what you're saying. It's not one individual. I've made many, well, it's been since the, whatever the concept of AWT, since the 80s, I made a lot of friends and I come to a lot of different situations. We're talking about deer raiders or we're talking about different styles of chillers or different types of cooling towers. I know we had a program we talked about WT about passivation, but I talked to different people about how they do it. What's the result? And I'm, I'm finding different ways of doing it that I have to evaluate that. And so I cannot say there's just one particular individual. I was on my own to start out with, with a little bit of training, a little bit of knowledge. Then I have grown with the industry, with the helps of EWT. Through that, I had contacts, and I learned through them. So specifically, and you have to realize, a lot of us are applicators. We're not the ones that creates the molecules. Or can split the molecules. We're, we're, we're the applicators. One guy was a uh, research chemist who's a member of the AWT. And I was talking to him about that. He says, Jack, you're an applicator. He says, you understand the technology, you apply it. And he says, you're not expected to know all the molecules, how things are put together. But you understand, if I have this, and I put that together, that will do this. Because of our training. So most of us are applicators. We're not scientists. That's, I don't know if that answers your question. All right. Well, well no, it uh, sounds like you equate, you know, getting new information as well as what's helped you most learn that information with the AWT. Um, I can't think of a better resource. And I'm surprised when I talk to people outside of people like yourself who's been involved with leadership of AWT, how underutilized that organization is. Oh, really? There's one thing that I've learned. We'll go back in the 70s. I read this book, and one thing was they're talking about the Ford, uh, the original Ford. And somebody, I, I, I was one of the newspapers back in New York, saying that he does not have the capabilities of running the Ford company. If someone else is doing it, he, he's just a figurehead. Ford took offense to that. He wants to prove it, so he took him to court. He said, that is wrong. And so Ford's attorney had Ford on the witness stand. He says, Mr. Ford. And he says, you run this company? He says, yes. He says, you oversee it all? He says, yes. You make a lot of decisions yourself? He says, yes. Oh, okay. I want to ask you some general questions. Are you familiar with, and they were talking about Caesar. They talked about uh, some just general information, whatever. And he says, no, I'm not aware, not aware, not aware. And he says, do you understand the calculus? He says, no. Do you understand uh, something about the style of bookkeeping? He goes, no. And you understand uh, something about the design, how this is done, what format? And he goes, no. He says, Mr. Ford, how can you explain? You just told us that you don't really have a lot of this general information that's required. How? Now, you say you actually run this company yourself. He says, yes, I do. Under my direction. Well, if I had a design, whatever, he says, how do, you, how do you do this? He says, well, I'll tell you what. On my desk, I have a big panel. There's a lot of buttons. If I want to know, if I have an idea, and I want to know how this works in the design, I push a button. Because he knows. 
he, he can come up with that answer, hey, this can be done, or if it cannot be done. If I want to know something specifically about bookkeeping, how this is, or being creative, whatever, I push a button. He says, it's where you get the information. He says, I have the knowledge. What I, I had the vision. I'm a visionary. He says, I don't need to know the details. I hire the people for the details. So this is what I mean by the applicator. So I have learned I don't have to be this well-rounded research chemist. All I need to know is what needs to be done, how it can be done, and who can I find to get that answer. So that's, that's how it works. Well, Jack, let me ask you if you are ready for the bonus questions. Oh, oh, we got bonus questions. We have bonus okay. questions. Yes, that wasn't in your okay. original contract, so I apologize about that. Okay, and the five dollar one is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, these, uh, th- this has been a great interview. You know, we've had a couple of things that we were hoping to talk about, but our dialogue back and forth, I think, has given our listeners just just some great things to consider. And I really appreciate that. But these questions are more just so people can get to know Jack Walker a little bit better. So, um, and their point value is worth double. So you can win the game. Oh, oh, it's a $10 question. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So uh, if you had a time machine and you could go back in time to the first day you started as a water treater, what advice would you give yourself from what you know now? I think I mentioned that as Earlier on, for other people, I would take the same advice, is know the industry. So I go into an industry, I did not understand the, all of the, how the hospital as a whole, how it works. I, I, you can understand piping, but the, the people working, the different people, the, the different jobs, you understand, you get the feel of the plant itself, how it works, how it's maintained. And I just like, oh, there's the boiler. Okay, fine. Let me take a test. I've done a water sample. See your log. You're done. Knowing the industry, so when you walk into a plant, you kind of know, like, this is the most common problem they'll have, or this is what they're mostly concerned with. Because you can walk into a plant, they're really concerned about whatever, like, what piece of equipment, whatever is unique in that particular industry. But if you don't know that, you could be losing out. Because now, all of a sudden, you become, quote, you know your industry. You really know how a hospital works. You know how the whole thing works together. It's like in the bakery. You know the bakery. Yeah. Do you steam for, uh, with, uh, to get the crust or something like that on the bread? I forgot what it was. And it's been too long. Man, so if you understand the industry, how it works, I think, it gives you a leg up because you can you can relate to them. That's the main thing. You can relate. He says, oh, well, what are you doing this? And how's this? And how that's working? Whatever. They are like, oh, okay. Instead of saying, you got a boiler. Oh, uh, what size is it? Oh, okay. No. You can, you can understand how it's being utilized, how it integrates with the rest of the system, and find out if there are, had, then you, you, even though if they're not having a problem, you, you can understand how the, the, the flow chart, how everything works. When I first started, I did not know that. I've learned, I know it now. When somebody mentioned about certain things, I say, oh yeah, I says, oh, how's that heat exchanger? Ever having problems with that? How's that going? Oh no, no, no problems. At all. Says, you know, we are having some problems. Oh, did you, did you know you can check this and check that? Did you try this? He's going, that's a good idea. 
I'm not, I'm not giving away the game, the ball game. I, all I'm doing, Mayor, I said earlier, don't give away the ball game. The thing of it is, I'm letting them know what. I'm letting them know that I know the system. I know how to take care of the system. They can have, they can have confidence. See, they can have confidence with me if I know their plan, how it all works instead of just one piece of equipment, how it's integrated. Probably, to me, I did not have that. I didn't, and it wasn't taught. Now, we just had our, uh, our training here, uh, here at WaterTech just the other day. And one thing I said, when you go through the plant, remember, even though the plant is working, you still want to go through that whole entire plant, look at all the piping, look how everything is laid out to get an understanding how it works. Because if something, if something goes wrong or whatever, then you know, like, oh, let me see here. That could be the possible problem. I can start there. Knowing the plan. Know the plan. Excellent advice. Jack, what are the last few books that you've read? Okay, as far as reading books, I have one by my bed right now. It's in sales management. Don't ask me why. Anyway, oh, I know why. Anyway, because <laughs> we're always doing the sales. Sure. You know, dealing with people. Mostly, I'm getting most of my information for the, for the longest time now is reading technical magazines. What's new? How things are done? You might find, you have different metallurgy today. Remember, back when, you ever have, you have, White rust. Remember when it first came around? I didn't know what that stuff was. I said, what, what is that? Kind of like, oh, that's white rust. Okay. Now we, we can recognize it. We kind of like, oh, not only that, I can look at the water report and says, uh, is it possibly, is it, has it been properly passivated? As an example. So anyway, I'm looking through these different articles and also, uh, the analyst has great articles. And not only that, because these articles, there's something that you and I already know, but it's nice as a kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. It kind of re, you know, not rethinking it. It just kind of reminds you. Mm -hmm. Good refresher. Yeah, it's a good refresher. So technical magazines primarily and books. I have one by my, but other than that, then sometimes for traveling, I'll, uh, re to relax, I'll, uh, non-fictional books. So, I'm getting to that point. <laughs> I'm not saying I know everything. <laughs> I know I'll never know everything. Once you think you know something, that's when it's over. My dad used it. to say the exact same thing. <clears throat> oh, really? Absolutely. He said, especially about water treatment, the day you think you've figured it all out, you need to hang it up and get out of this industry. <laughs> Would you think you know that? Give me a call. I'll ask you a question you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, Jack, you're I, know right. you're, uh, I know you're a big golfer, so uh, where was the last course that you played? <laughs> that was a uh, quick silver. I mean, no, Silver Creek. There was a park, Silver Creek Country Club. We had, uh, I belonged to a senior group, and uh, so I get to sneak off sometimes during the week. Don't tell the kids. Anyway, and uh, I've been very fortunate. I, I belong to a country club here locally. And uh, we have a senior group, and we play other senior groups, other country clubs. So I get to play other country clubs that I would – first of all, I didn't know they existed. And they're way up in the hills and behind gated gates and whatever the case may be. But now I get to go into their club because they get to come to our club. So to, to answer your question, that was just yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. And what was the score? Oh, I'm losing connection now. I, I, 
Can't, can't, can't quite hear that. Oh, like you can, said, can you hear me now? <laughs> oh, I see. I see what you did there. Well, actually, what it was, it's a – no, I did well. It's a foursome. I'm not to bore anybody with golf. It's a foursome, the best ball of two, and three didn't show up with their – they had golf clubs in their hands, but they didn't do very well. So as a foursome, we didn't do well, but I did okay. But it takes a team. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's funny you said about golf. I, you, you ask my, I won't give you the, the name, but part of my uh, password <laughs> is, is hacker. <laughs> One guy's like, oh. you probably shouldn't give your password information out on the podcast. Just, just a little bit of advice. No, I, no, I'm not. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I, no, I didn't. But what I'm trying to say, one guy was saying, uh, I used, uh, hacker and he says, uh, by the way, uh, hacker, hmm, we have a computer hacker. I go, no, 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 no. I'm a hacker, golf hacker. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. So well, Jack, uh, you, you've had an incredible life, lots of, lots of things you've done, lots of things you've learned. So eventually they're going to end up making a movie about your life. When they do that, who plays <laughs> Jack Walker? <laughs> oh, I know who it'll be. I just thought that, that's a good question. Take a guy who just, a working guy has a business. It, it, it's going to be a boring movie, okay? There, there's, you know, whatever. I was just thinking, be Caddyshack. Caddyshack and who was the maintenance guy who was trying to blow up the golfer? That's kind of thinking his name. Mine doesn't work that quick. Oh, Bill Murray? That, yeah, Bill Murray. I'll, that'd be Bill Murray and I'm, I'm, I'm the maintenance guy trying to blow up the, get rid of that golfer. That's who I, that's who I'd be. There you go. So, so everybody enjoy, right? Everybody enjoy Caddyshack. What a movie. So 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 instead of instead of Bill Murray playing the Jack Walker character, you want to go and play the Bill Murray Caddyshack character. Yes. There you go. All right. Yeah. At a theater near you. So, <laughs> and we'll we'll save you a seat. <laughs> so Jack, if you had the ability to talk to anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why? Oh, there's so oh you goodness gracious sakes alive. The inventors, Leonardo, there's, there's, there's one guy, there's others, you can go back further, of course I could say Plato, yeah, right, I wouldn't understand one word he's talking about, he's beyond my comprehension, but how these minds work, and, but I guess they had a lot of time, they didn't have a lot of side, side attraction, but Leonardo da Vinci, meaning Leonardo from Vinci, but anyway, there's such great minds back there. And what would they do? It's not royalty and stuff like that. But these guys who, who created from this concept, we see, you know, stop to think about with, with Newton. If we didn't, if he didn't invent gravity, where, we, where would we be today if he didn't invent gravity? Just as an example. Great minds. Oh, there you go. Well, Jack, one That's thing is for sure, and yeah. you are definitely a great mind, and I would love to have you back because I think we just scratched the surface on ideas and, and topics that you can give to our audience. So if you don't mind, I'd like to have you back again. Well, if you'll have me back, I mean, <laughs> it, it seems like we kind of rattle on, but it, it's I don't the podcast, to listen to somebody drone on, it's the idea is that when you get into the industry, uh, pick an industry you're going to be comfortable with. Don't, don't in other words, be, don't call on the type of an industry, either as a water treater, that you wouldn't feel comfortable with because you don't have the technology or you could be overwhelmed. 
don't do that. Get something that you feel comfortable with. And as you grow, then you get references. Then you can start growing. I'm, I'm taking care of some data centers. Now, they're, I won't say who they are, but they're well known that never in my life I ever thought. I didn't know how data worked, the data centers. So I can start talking to different equipment how things are done, and I can relate to them. So when I walk in there, start talking. So I'm trying to say, understand, that's why I like it, the industry, but understand what you feel comfortable with, and there's plenty of it that you can call on. Then you can expand from there. So that's be of most of help. And and to, to, to listen to other people, and find, find a mentor. And find It's not going to be one individual. Find somebody that, that you can call on or talk to, like, Hey, uh, I have this uh, particular deer raider. Uh, what, what's common with this, you know? Uh, I have a different style boiler I've never seen before. Oh, what, what's a Clayton boiler? I don't know if you, uh, they don't have those. You know, what's different about that? Or a mirror boiler? So you can talk to different people. That's because you can't you can't know everything. I don't pretend. I, I just you want to you want to know your industry. Be an expert in your industry. Whatever it is, be an expert. You can walk in there, shoulders high, head up, and second, I know this. Okay, what can I do to help you? Jack, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing some of the ideas that you've had throughout the, what is it, 50 years in water treatment? Uh, 72 to what, do the math, 72 to 2017. So it was what, 45? Well, there you go. So That's much, water. So much of a wealth of knowledge, and, and thanks so much for coming on and sharing it with our audience. Thanks again, Trace. Good job. Keep it up. Well, folks, that right there is the reason that you need to take time to volunteer with the Association of Water Technologies. I did not know Jack at all before I volunteered, and I would not have had the opportunity to meet such an incredible person and have this conversation with Jack had I not gotten involved with AWT. So, If you're thinking about it, go ahead and pull the trigger and get involved with AWT. Go on awt.org, and I'm sure you'll find many, many things that you could do. Again, it pays me back the fact that I volunteer on a daily basis. So let's get into pinks and blues. Got a couple of questions. Trace, when you calibrate conductivity controllers, do you calibrate the conductivity probe with standard or just simply using air and system water? Well, the I guess the answer is yes to both. It depends on the situation. So normally what I will do is uh, I always use a calibrated meter. I never have any question at all whether the controller is right or my meter is right. My meter is always clean. It always has fresh batteries. The probes are always up to date and it's always been calibrated before it went into service that day. So I never, ever want to guess if my meter is telling me the right thing. And if I ever do question my meter, I always have standards, both pH and conductivity with me, so I can verify that it is doing that. So all that aside, let's say our meter is working and we have gotten some drift on the calibration of the conductivity controller. So the first thing that I would say uh, before you go to calibrate it is clean it. And on our third episode, I believe it was, Tom Tenney 
told us the proper way to clean a probe, making sure that uh, we didn't put any residuals on that. Now, Tom didn't recommend this, but what I've been doing for years is I have a Scotch-Brite pad in my test kit that is changed regularly and I use to clean the carbon tips on those probes. Occasionally, I'll put a little bit of acid on that and that will solubilize uh, anything that has migrated on those tips and then I'll clean those. I'll then rinse them really well with the DI water that I have in my test kit and then I will see what they read by putting them. Normally, if I'm doing all that, I normally will put them into standard just so I know exactly what's going on there. So the key to that is depending on how much standard you have in your test kit, you probably want to find some sort of vessel that will hold just enough standard around that probe so you're not having to put 100 mils of standard in just to calibrate that. So that might take some doing, but trying to think what we use. Actually, I'm pretty sure I know what they are. They are the urine specimen cups you get at doctor's offices. And that is just enough for us to get a, a good amount of standard in that cup and then have enough room for that probe to sit in there. If you can find something that was a little bit narrower, that might even be a little bit better, but that'll at least get you started. So hopefully now on the screen you are reading what the conductivity standard actually says. If you do not get that reading, now you have to calibrate it. And typically they have a high and low calibration. The low, or sometimes they're even called air because that's what you're going to do. You're going to calibrate that in nothing. So nothing is across that probe and then you're going to calibrate that to zero. Once that's done, you can stick it in your standard and go ahead and calibrate it to high. If you wanted to, you could use your system water. If you did not have standard, you knew exactly what that system water was based on your meter, you could calibrate it that way as well. I have learned when we have taken over accounts from other companies that cleaning the conductivity probe doesn't seem to be a regular maintenance items with every water treater out there. And folks, you got to look at that controller on the wall is that's you when you're not there. So treat it with that kind of respect. If it is not being calibrated properly and treated properly, then it is not going to do the job that you would want to do if you were there. So to answer the question, yes, when I clean the probe, I normally do use standard but you could also get away with not using standard if you were very confident in your meter. But the big takeaway about this, I think, is to make sure that your probes are clean. And you might even want to document how often that controller is not holding conductivity because if that's a regular thing that you're looking at every month, there might be something else going on there. And then we get into some of the troubleshooting that we talked about on episode three. So the second question that I'm going to answer today is around alkalinity. And I've received a lot of questions about alkalinity. And honestly, I think that I can do an entire show, if not several shows, on the subject of alkalinity. So I'm going to hit one of the lighter questions. 
And then depending on my response or your response from my response, you guys can let me know if I need to go deeper into this. So alkalinity, and let's talk about relationships. First off, we can only have certain, well, let me tell you the question first. Again, I get ahead of myself. I get so excited to talk about alkalinity. So this person wants to know, you know, what alkalinities exist at different pHs. So that leads us to the actual alkalinity pH relationships. So what I want you to do is visualize the pH scale. And the pH scale between 0 and 14. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about which alkalinity exists at what pH. And you've heard on other shows where we're using pH-sensitive dyes like phenolphthalein or bromocresyl green to indicate what pHs are. And the reason that they work is because, uh, and the reason we use those same things as alkalinity indicators is because those alkalinities only exist at certain pHs. So there could be some discrepancy on the numbers that I'm going to give out. I'm giving you some generalities and I'm giving you this way because it's easy to remember. Somebody might say, oh, it's not exactly 4.3, it's 4.2 point something, it's 4.3 point something but I'm going to speak very generally. So what the heck am I talking about? So again, if you will recognize the pH scale, put that in your mind for a second. So as we're moving from low to high on the pH scale, these are the alkalinities and how they exist. So below 4.3, we do not have alkalinity. What we have is carbonic acid. So above 4.3, we start to develop bicarbonate alkalinity, and that's our M-alkalinity. It's called M-alkalinity because we used to use methyl orange to test for that. A better indicator now is bromocresyl green, but we never changed that to B-alkalinity, but that's why M-alkalinity is bicarbonate alkalinity. All right, so that's from 4.3 to 8.3. Now, above 8.3, we start to produce carbonate alkalinity. Now, that's our P-alkalinity for phenol failing. Water treatment's very simple. We don't try to make it more difficult than it has to be. So we named it after our reagents. So from 8.3 to 10.3 is our carbonate alkalinity. And then above 10.3, we have our hydroxyl alkalinity. So if those relationships help you when you're now running your pH and then you go to run your alkalinity tests, if you have a pH of 7.4, there is absolutely no reason to put phenolphthalein in that total alkalinity test because it doesn't exist. The only reason you would do that if you didn't trust your meter. And by the way, if your meter says 7 something and you're a phenolphthalein turns pink in your sample, your meter is incorrect. So you can use these alkalinity relationships to make your testing a little bit easier. A lot of us just simply run procedures and we don't understand the test as well as we should. But when we're running alkalinity and we're using a properly calibrated pH meter, we should be able to run only the tests we need, saving us time so we can do something else that's more valuable at that account. So that's breaking the tip of the iceberg with alkalinity. I'm going to go ahead and put a relationship chart up on my show notes page. So if you're having difficulty 
visualizing that. I'll have a little graph up there for you. I'm not going to get in too much to, to I'm not going to get in at all the 2P minus M and the different relationships on how you can figure out one alkalinity from another. But maybe I'll do that on another show if the interest is high enough. We definitely do that at the AWT technical training. So um, it's amazing all the stuff that is covered during those three days, whether you're in the fundamentals and applications class or if you're in the technical training class, it is like drinking from a fire hose. So even if you've been to one of those classes uh, recently, I go every single year and I am always amazed. I always learn something new even though it's the same presenters and it's a similar presentation. It's, it's like drinking from a fire hose, like I said, and uh, you get a little bit more every time that you go. So the last question is on passivation. And I've received several questions, what's the proper way to passivate a cooling tower? And rather than me answering that question, for those of you that were at the AWT convention two years ago, Chris Nagel of Avapco gave a great uh, paper on the topic of passivation. So rather than me talk about what I learned from him, we're actually going to have a conversation with Chris Nagel. So that's going to be coming up in future episodes. And the reason I knew to reach out to Chris and ask if he would talk about passivation because you fine folks let me know that that was something that you were interested in. So please continue to do that. That's how I know what I'm going to talk about. And that drives my anxiety level way down because I don't have to worry about coming up with topics to talk about because you guys are doing that for me. So thank you very much for that. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you tell a friend about this podcast. And I hope you treat tomorrow as an opportunity to become a better water trader tomorrow than you were today. Have a great week, folks.